Thank you for listening to the Parker DC Sermon Podcast. The following message is a ministry of Parker Memorial Baptist Armorville campus. We aim to be biblically faithful, Christ exalting, and God glorifying as we preach and teach the scriptures with boldness and application. We hope you will join us in person this Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for worship celebration. For more information about Parker DC, visit us at www.dclivelove.com. We hope you enjoy. Thank you. Good morning again. I'll tell you that song encourages me this morning for a lot of reasons. Uh, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Uh, my kids are sick. One of the, some of that group is sick right now. And so uh, I was up about every hour or so with my youngest. And so I'm a little tired. So if, if I'm a little sluggish this morning, just throw something at me. I'll wake up while I'm up here, okay? All right? And if I start falling asleep while I preach, that's going to be real sad, real sad. Uh, but on a different note, uh, I, f- I feel well, and so if I, if, again, if I'm kind of standoffish with you, forgive me for that. I, I was drinking plenty of orange juice. I've been taking vitamins. I've been uh, making sure I got plenty of water. I've been spraying the house down with Lysol like this. I think I'm chasing the kids around at this point. Lysol, they cough. It's like I'm meeting them in the air with a cough, right? Amen? Lysol. And if I need to, like, use it elsewhere, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I just don't want it. Amen? Amen? Amen. So if you've already had it, God bless you. I don't want it. All right. Uh, anyway, so if you have a Bible, if you'll open your Bible, the book of Haggai, the book of Haggai chapter two, we will get there in a minute. We are in a series over the last three months in these minor prophets, in our series called God the Ruins. And we've been looking at this significant timeline in the nation of Israel where it's divided in the sense that in 931 BC, uh, the nation of Israel divides into two different timelines. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Northern kingdom of Israel didn't last very long. A lot of wicked kings, a lot of bad kings, a lot of idol worship. Uh, Assyria, God uses the wicked people of Assyria to come in and conquer the northern kingdom of Israel in 721, 722 BC. And then you got the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin. It's, not, it's known as kingdom of Judah. And Judah lasts a little bit longer, ultimately falls to the same kind of uh, destiny in the sense that it would have ultimately uh, be conquered by Babylon in 586, 587 B.C. And then Israel, by and large, would be uh, off the world map in a sense of politically. The, the nation of Israel, Jews, would be deported to different places in exile in, in Babylon specifically. And then you have a, an edict, a cult, a edict of Cyrus that allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild the, the, the city of Jerusalem. Now, how many of you guys remember vaguely uh, our series in Ezra and Nehemiah for the first part of the year? Give me the Baptist elbow. All right. All right. So we were there earlier this year and we began talking about this wave of the Jews coming back from Babylon to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And it started with the temple itself and a guy named Zerubbabel. Remember Zerubbabel? Shake your head like this, right? So you had Zerubbabel, then you had Ezra, and ultimately you had Nehemiah as well. Other players there, you're going to get that in the text today. But Haggai is one of the great prophets during that return, okay? So it's, it's not by accident, I believe, that God had us there early this year, bringing us back at the end of the year. We're tying it all together with a beautiful pretty Christmas bow. Okay, does that make sense to you guys? All right. So Haggai is one of those books, much like the rest of them, where there's a lot of judgment early, but a lot of encouragement late. And Haggai specifically has encouraged the nation of Israel who has moved back to Jerusalem to be about the good work that God has for them. Okay, we'll clarify that specifically in a minute. Now, here's the flyover. Uh, If you're a guest today, I'm trying to give you these short books, kind of like a flyover the island, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a little bit of information about the island of the book, and then we're going to fly right into an airport into the text, okay, and we're going to talk about that text, okay? So here's the island view of the book of Haggai. He was a prophet of Judah, really, and Israel, 
during the post-exile, around 520 B.C. So if you ever get that question in Bible trivia, you got it. Contemporary to Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. Uh, when, when, the, when Haggai's ministry begins, the temple foundation has already been rebuilt. And it was happened pretty fast. Okay, The book of Ezra and Nehemiah outlines this. The, the foundation itself was quickly rebuilt. And then there was a pause. And that's where we're going to get the tension that God has in the book of Haggai. There's a pause for 16 very long years. So the, the, the temple foundation is rebuilt after the exile. And then all of a sudden, because of fear, the Samaritans said, we don't want the Jews coming back in and retaking over and taking control again. And so the Samaritans brought great fear to the Jews back in Jerusalem. And so they, they paused and they began doing other things and other good things. Have you ever been guilty of doing good things but miss the greatest thing? Have you ever, ever done that before? Well, that's the case in, in Jerusalem. The people are doing good things. They're, they're building houses. They're establishing commerce. They're doing things that would make society better. But for 16 very long years, they forgot to do what God had specifically told them to do. And my friends, that is the problem, right? Well, sometimes we can get caught up. I'm guilty of this. We can get caught up with doing so many good things that we forget the priority of the greatest thing. The greatest thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ and being witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How, how appropriate it is on the first Sunday of November that we're talking about sharing your faith. We're also talking about the priority of our life. We are here to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Amen. We are here to bring glory to God with our lives. Amen. That is the good thing. Everything else is secondary. Amen. That puts uh, football in perspective, doesn't it? That puts politics in perspective, doesn't it? It puts, it puts all other things in our life. Money, yeah, it comes and goes. You know, like house, yeah, there's going to be problems. No big deal. Your car is going to break down. Hopefully not today. Otherwise, you'll be calling me up. Preacher, you spoke bad over my car. I didn't do that. Your car is going to break down at some point. You're going to have a flat tire. Sometimes you, your money's a little tight. Sometimes relationships go bad. Sometimes you and your wife don't see eye to eye, right? Don't say amen, please, right? All of that's peripheral to the purpose of our life, which is the glory of God by we sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? So number one, I want you to fill in. Now, if you notice in your worship guide, this is very different. Let me kind of give you a, a, a preface to this. I do not preach in outlines, <laughs> all right? But this week, as I was studying the book of Haggai, chapter 2, I am sitting at my desk, and I'm reading the text, and I'm writing words. Not even really thinking. I'm just writing words next to the text over here on the side of my page. And I look over, and dadgummit, the, all the words start with P, all right? So my preaching professors from seminary and my undergrad are like, that a boy, preacher. Good job, preacher. They, they tell you to do that. I don't think it's kind of weird to me. But anyway, so you know, everything starts with, with P, and I didn't have to reach for it. So today, you're going to get four A, B, C, D statements, and you're going to get an outline, okay? Does that make sense? I'm going to make it real easy for you. Some of you are already guessing the P's, and you're probably going to get one or two or three wrong, okay? And if that's you, you're going to fail the class. So you've got to listen carefully with your ears, okay? Listen with your ears, not your eyes, okay? Number A, comfort is the great deterrent to gospel obedience. Isn't that true? Comfort is the great deterrent to gospel obedience. The Jews have moved back to Jerusalem they got the foundation built, they paused out of fear, and then the project left the forefront of their mind because they were more concerned with being comfortable in their own personal lives than being obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And Haggai has to come along and say, hey, guys, let's get it together because we have missed something. Micah Fry said it this way. Transformed hearts lead to transformed hands. And transformed hands do God's work. Amen? So we got a heart issue that relays down to our hand issue. We're not working because our heart's not right. Because we care too much about comfort and safety than we do obedience to the will and the purposes of God. Amen? You ever felt yourself in that kind of conundrum before? I, I like it easy. Now, if you like it easy, I want to tell you something. One of the best things you can do if you like it easy is go overseas on a mission trip. I'm not really supposed to do this part now, but we have two major trips coming up in 2023 in the first six months or so. We have a trip to Uganda. You can go to Uganda, all right? You can see Evan or, or Kelly or Megan about that, or you can go to Guatemala the first week of July, and you can see Mr. Jerry about that. Go one of those trips. You know what? You're going to be so uncomfortable, it'll get the best of you. Amen, right? It'll stretch the mess out of you. Amen. Because what we realize sometimes when we get outside of our comfort zone is that God has to destroy the idol of comfort in our life. Amen? And then we can see God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for our life even clearer. Okay? Amen? There's a plug for, for missions because we all need to be doing missions. All right? Number one in your outline, we're going to look at the text. Number one, y'all with me? Say uh-huh. Here it is. The first thing you'll discover is the purposes of God. Read with me. Ezra, or Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month... On the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Do you remember the temple? Now, like, it's the temple. Is that just a religious thing? Is that just like, is that even a thing that matters? And to God, it matters because it's a picture of a relationship that God has with his people. Amen? All right, so it's not the building that matters. It's the presence of God with his people that matters. Amen? You remember the, that glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Now, now, you can look at this text and say, like, when you look at the past, sometimes we have a, a tendency to over-glamorize the past. Y'all ever been there before? Like, we look at the good old days, the good old days, right? The good old days when everything was just gravy. It was long before COVID, amen? Can I get a witness? Long before COVID, right? And even though we had to walk up uphill both ways to school in snow with one sock and one shoe, life was just great in the good old days, amen? Right? And what happens is when we over-glamorize the past, we forget their, our usefulness in the present and we stop dreaming about the future. And we have a tendency sometimes to over glamour. Now, I love history. I think we should learn from our past and we should be celebratory towards the past, God's faithfulness in our past. But at the same time, our past is not the most important thing. Amen? In fact, I would say our future is the most important thing. Our glorious future with the Lord. So let's talk about what is God's will, this purpose for our life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Some translations say redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand the purposes that God has for your life. I like what James says. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for 
for a little time, and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, listen carefully what James says, if the Lord wills. What James says is what's most important in my life is not that I go and make a profit or that I go and build houses or that I go and make money or that I am the, a, a popular person or that I have a lot of money in my bank account. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing in my life is if the Lord wills, right? Y'all with me? If the Lord wills. Everything we, should, we do with our life, every decision of our life, we should ask questions. Is this God's will for my life? And if you can't say with conviction and, 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 and absolute confidence of that, then I would pause until you have that conviction and confidence. Amen? Sometimes we, we, we run through and we do things and we ask God to put his little stamp of approval on the end and we wonder why it fails so badly. Y'all ever do that before? Well, I, I know it's a good thing. But God says, I got, I got greater things. And you're missing the greater for the good. So make sure it's the good. If the Lord wills, James says, we will live and do this or that. Number B or letter B in your outline there. I told you this is weird. I got A, B, and C, and D, and then I got the outline. We'll get back to that in a second, but you need to write this down. Talking of the will of God. God's will will never contradict his word. Have you ever had a, a thought? I just, I want to know God's will for my life. Well, let me tell you, the best way to know God's will for your life is to know God's word. Amen? We, we live in a shortcut society, don't we? I want the fastest way from point A to Z. I don't want to have to go through B through X. I, I, want, I, want, I want A to Z, and I want to take the shortest route possible. And as a result of that, we have gotten lazy when it comes to our biblical literacy. We don't read the Bible. We don't study the Bible. We don't spend time with the Lord in the Scriptures. And we wonder why we're walking around so confused sometimes. When, when was the last time that you devoted time to actually sit with the Scriptures? To, to read the text. To pray over the text. To, to, to write out what, the, what God is showing you in the text. To, to pull out of the text something applica some application for your life. When was the last time you spent time in the Scriptures? More than just well, I've got to do my Bible reading today. And you read it as fast as you can to get on to your next appointed duty. God's word is not your next appointed duty. It's the source of God's will for your life. And it is the source of understanding the God who loves you and has that source and that will for your life. We've abandoned God's word and we wonder, well, I just, I want to know God's will for my life. And I've had people come to me, well, I want, God, God wants this for my life. I just know God wants for my And you'll show them, well, God's word says this. But, but, God's word, but God's telling you this. I'm going to tell you something. God's word never contradicts. Or God's will never contradicts God's word. Never. He will not tell you to do something that he's already explicitly said don't do in the scriptures. Never. Never. Uh, one of the hard things about that is sometimes we want to make ourselves the, the exception of those rules. Let me tell you something. You guys are awesome people and I love you dearly. But you're not the exception of the rule of God's word. And I'm not the exception of the rule of God's word. God's will for our life will always align to his word. God will never tell you something contradictory to what he's already said in the scriptures. Never. Colossians chapter 4, Paul says this, Walk in wisdom towards the outsiders, making the best use of the time. We have purposes that God has for us. They're God's purposes. And he's, Haggai's reminding the people, hey guys, God has a task for you. You kind of paused for too long. You went on that smoke break. Mm -mm, sorry. You went on your, uh, your lunch break. And 16 years later, you're still there. 
16 years later. Whoo! Next thing you need to see is the power of God in verse 4. Verse 4, read with me. Yet now, be strong. Be strong, O Zerubbabel. That word strong has a, a lot of different implications to it. It's translated several different ways in the Old Testament. It means to be bold, to be encouraged. It means sometimes to repair or to reestablish. He said, so yet now be strong, be bold, O Zerubbabel. The Zerubbabel is the guy who, who was the chief contractor, so to speak, to rebuild the temple. Declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. You see the power of God. And the power of God is not something that is found in the man. It's found in the work of God, in the sovereignty of God. We see this command to be strong over and over and over in the Old Testament and New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 God says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it's the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, as the people are going to the promised land, this is what God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah chapter 51 or 41 verse 10 says, fear not for I am with you. You, you kind of see the the the. Over and over and over, I am with you, I am, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. We'll get to that P in a minute, okay? All right? But how can we be strong? Because he is our strength. In my weakness, he is my strength. Our strength does not come from something innately inside of me or you. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God who resides in you. It ain't about me. It ain't about you. So he says, fear not, I am with you, Isaiah 41, 10. Be not, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, in the Old Testament, there is this picture of your right hand. For all you lefties, you southpaws out there, don't be offended by this, okay? But your right hand was the position of strength, right? And so what, what he's saying is, I will uphold you with my position of strength, my righteous right hand, my strength. You have my strength. So you see his purposes, you see his power. But you also see the presence of God. Number three, the outline, verse five. The presence of God, notice this. He goes on, says, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, this is at Sinai, this, this old law that I established, my covenant I established with you, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Let me tell you something. The, the presence of God is one of the most unappreciated things we have as people of God. No, don't, please don't say this out loud. Have you ever been in a church or with a group of so-called Christians and it was just absolutely no life? And it may have been because the preacher was long and boring. All right, don't say amen, okay? Maybe there was a sense of, of, of bitterness or frustration or, or, or fighting in the church or whatever else. But you just didn't feel the presence of God. Now, contrast that. Have you ever been in a, in, a, in a place, maybe it was a church or with a group of people, maybe on a mission trip and, and you were serving the Lord and you just felt like the presence of God in such a powerful way? Which one is greater? Which one of them inspired more boldness to be gospel witnesses? The presence of God. Now, then why, why would we, we not plead with God every Sunday? Why would we not plead with God every Wednesday? Why would we not plead with God every day of the week? God, I need your presence 
Because without your presence, I am absolutely nothing. Exodus chapter 33. Go back to the, that moment where they got the law. Remember the nation of Israel, they messed it up. They were you know, idol worship, the calf thing. And Moses come down and Moses is like angry, ticked off, threw the tablets. Probably like some of y'all were about football games yesterday. He was that kind of angry. Y'all, y'all remember that, right? And because the, of their idolatry and their, because their calf stuff, and God says, you know what? I'm not going to go with them anymore. God tells Moses, you know what? Take the people to the promised land. They can go, but I'm, I'm not taking my presence with you. I'm just not going. And Moses is like, uh-uh, uh-uh, God, uh-uh, no. You can't do that. Because it's your presence that makes us distinct as a people. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who you are that makes us different. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. He said, my presence then, thank God, he relented. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And that was a huge thing for the nation of Israel. Psalm 145, verse 18 gives us this promise. The Lord is near to all who call on him. His presence is available to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. As Micah Fries says, this is one of the commentaries I'm using. So the promise of God's presence is a powerful motivator. I mean, think about the nation of Israel. Time and time again, as they are conquering in the conquest of the promised land, you know what drives the, the people crazy as far as they're being the Canaanites? You know what they're hearing the rumors of? They're hearing the rumors of God, not the power of Israel. They're hearing out, well, this, this all-powerful God continues to work on behalf of these people of Israel, right? What are they scared of? They ain't scared of Israel. They're afraid of God. The presence of God is a powerful, powerful motivator to obedience. As a result of that, we should, we should seek that presence. We should seek his presence. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. As a result, we find grace to help in time of need. We need the presence of God. But not only do you have the purposes of God, the power of God, the presence of God. Y'all, y'all like the alliteration, don't you? Y'all smile. Y'all wake. All right. The presence of God, you also get the protection of God. Verse 6, read with me. I'm telling you, this is not my normal style, so this is a reach for me, okay? But I just I couldn't help it. It was just there, all right? For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. You know what God is communicating? God's commu- communicating his protection now. You don't have to fear the Samaritans. They scared you 16 years ago, and you've been scared ever since. Get over it. I'm with you. I have the power to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will protect you. Get back to work. Get back to work. Lunch break's over. Get off the bench. Get back in the game. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. I've already read this, but be strong and courageous. Do not fear and be adread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you to protect you, right? He will not leave you or forsake you. So you get the purposes of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the protection of God. This is a lot of fun for me. And now you get verse 7 and 8. God's protection never comes without God's provision. Say so again, God's protection never comes without God's provision. Verse 7. And I will shake all nations. It's the sovereignty of God. I will shake all nations. 
So the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house, this temple you're going to rebuild. I'm going to fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Every time you get afraid of your bank account because it's looking a little bit low, you just need to, you need to look at that verse. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Letter C, go back up. Now, I did reach for this alliteration, so just kind of bear with me. God will always fund his functions. <laughs> That's a little cheesy. But the reality is this. God will always resource his mission. Always. If it is the will of God, he will provide the means to accomplish his will. This is, this is one of the things about, about church and giving. That I, just, I just need to, to share it. It's like, oh, here comes preacher's going to talk about giving. You know one of the reasons why I talk about giving? It's not because of the budget. It's not because of dollar amounts. It's because giving is an act of discipline. It's an act of obedience. And as a result of that, I grow in my faith as a giver. Amen? The, re- the reality is this. Most of us, when we look at our bank accounts, though, I can't afford to give. Really, the reality is this. I can't afford not to give. Because, listen, I'm confident of this. If God owns everything, he's not looking at my bank account. He's looking at his riches. And he tells me to give out of his riches, not mine. Amen? Doesn't that change the way I give? Now, listen, that changed the way I give and tithe in the church. And I'm like, preacher, now you talk about tithe, and I don't tithe. Well, you ought to. I don't know who tithes. I don't want to know who tithes. But the reality is this. I want to know that you're obedient I want you to all tithe, 10%. Like, whoa, that's a lot. In this economy, I, I can't do it. Listen, one of, the, one of the things I've seen, and I talk to a lot of other pastors right now, and I'm going to go on a soapbox, so just give me a second, okay? Um, I, I, I hear this. Well, people are backing off their giving at church because of the economy. What does that have to do with it? The percentage is still the same. Is it, isn't that true? Well, preacher, you don't understand. Like, food costs has gone up and gas prices have gone up. Trust me, I get it. Jonathan eats a lot. Amen? Bethany has her moments. Now I owe them both $3. Great. Right? Man, my truck out there, I might need to get a compact car. Somebody want to buy it? Probably not. I mean, I get it. But that has nothing to do with my obedience to what God has already said. Nothing. And here's, here's what I think will happen. And here's what I know will happen. When we're obedient with what God has already said, he'll take care of all that rest of that stuff. Because he will always fund his functions. And, and listen, and the reality is this. He'll use us to fund the functions. Amen? Then we get to partner with God in being part of the resources. And that's a good place to be as well. Amen? I, now, historically, how did it happen? Well, we talked about it several months ago back in the Ezra and Nehemiah series. Darius. Darius, the next king after Cyrus. Darius actually funds the rebuilding of the temple. You may look at Ezra chapter 6, verse 8. That's what it says. Moreover... There he says, I make a decree regarding what you should do for these elders of the Jews for the building of the house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue. (laughs) So Persia now is going to rebuild the temple for the Jews. I like the way God works. Amen. It's like having the enemy pay for all of God's work. Amen. Amen. The tribute of the province from beyond the river. So Persia is going to pay for God's will to be done. Okay, I'm good with that. Years ago, there was a terrible 
tornadoes in Wetumpka, Alabama. I remember several years ago, and First Baptist Church Wetumpka was hit uh, uh, with a tornado. And the, the, y'all are familiar with the casino that's down there. And the casino wanted to give some church, the church some money, and the church declined that. And that was their, their convictions, and that was fine. Somebody asked me about that. It's like, hey, would you receive the money? And my first thought was, absolutely I'd receive the money. Now, I wouldn't put it in a budget. I'd stick it over in a benevolence, though. We would help as many people as we possibly could help with that money. Because I figured this, Satan's had that money long enough, amen? You go out and win the lottery. You ask, Pastor, should I tithe off the lottery? Absolutely, you should. Satan has had that money long enough, amen? shouldn't be playing the lottery. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory of Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, 33. Jesus says this. It comes to the way that we focus so much on material things. He said, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father, he knows. He knows that you need them all. But seek first. Seek first. Seek first. I'm stuck on that word. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Like what Psalm 34 verse 10 says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. There's a, there, no, listen, this does not mean you'll be prosperous. doesn't mean you'll be wealthy and everything will be great and you'll be healthy. That's not what the Bible teaches. But the Bible does teach blessings to those who walk in obedience. That's biblical. Amen? Tony Evans said this, God's path will never lack God's provision. That's good. God will provide whatever need to accomplish his will. And, and sometimes the reality is just like if, it, if the provision may affirm that it's not God's will. Right? God, there's not the resources God did not provide, that means we need to pause. Right? Because it may not be God's will. But if it's God's will, God will provide everything necessary to accomplish it. So you see the purpose of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the protection of God, all these peace, the provision of God. And then you'll see, verse 9, we're almost there. You'll see the promise of God. Read with me, verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, if you look at this historically, you're like, now this doesn't make sense. Because the Zerubbabel temple wasn't near the glorious temple that Solomon's temple was. In fact, it was like if you looked and compared the two, for those who were still alive, who saw them both, the people would, they would weep because it was nothing like the first one. It's like having a, a cheap knockoff compared to the first one. Like, this is nothing like it, but we're not talking about the second one. We're not talking about Zerubbabel Tim. We're talking about something greater now. And that greater, let's listen carefully, is a reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greater temple. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19, God says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What is this new thing that God would do? His name is Jesus. Amen? Oh, come on, church. You hollered at the football game yesterday on TV. Jesus, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, after the religious leaders were getting on to Jesus for, for eating or plucking food, grain on Sabbath day, Jesus says to them, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. 
Now, we don't know the context of this, but I think Jesus is pointing to the temple. He says, you know what? That thing over there is just a building. There's something greater than that. It's me. It's me. John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus drives out the money changers out of the temple. Y'all remember that? With a whip. Like, talking about a mad preacher. <laughs> All right. Drives them out. And he says this, these words, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, what Jesus was not referred to him was a building. He was referred to himself, the gospel, that Jesus would die and raise from the grave in three days. He is the greater temple. So when you look at this verse, it's like, the, yeah, so the, 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 greater, the, the latter days will be greater than the first. You're right, because the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Amen? The old covenant showed us our need for the new covenant. New covenant provided the means for our salvation. Sometimes we can get stuck in the past. We get stuck looking the old way. As a result of that, we forget God's perfect will for our life today and tomorrow in doing so. I'm convinced. Now, let's just make this real personal for our church. I think the former days have nothing on what's about to happen in our church. I, I believe that our better days are ahead of us. And we can look back and say, I missed this and I missed that. And there's certain things I certainly missed too. I've been here for almost eight years. There are people I miss. Every now and then I'll watch a video uh, and I'll see people who have gone on to glory. And man, I miss them. Man, I miss them. But I still believe God has glorious days ahead of this church. And we ain't even, we ain't even dreamed it yet. But God knows And if he knows, I'm good with that. Amen. Number D, letter D. Our past does not define us. Our present does not confine us. Why? Y'all can see I'm in a rhythm motion right there. Because of what the divine has done for us. Yesterday is yesterday. Let it be yesterday. Let the past live in the past. Let's be obedient saints of the present with our eyes focused on the future. Amen. Now, preacher, you're missing one P. I got you. We're going to go back to verse 9 one more time. And I'm going to land the plane. We've already called the tower. We're making our final approach. We've seen the purposes of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the protection of God, the provision of God, the promise of God. Finally and beautifully, you see peace of God. Verse 9, again, the latter glory of this house should be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord. Isn't that what we all need? In the ruins, we need peace. We need peace with others. We need peace with ourselves. I don't know, how many of you are hard on yourself? Like I am. I'm hard on myself. Peace with ourselves. Most importantly, we need peace with God. We need peace. Jesus speaks of that peace in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not a a faux peace. It's not a temporary peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He would say in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 26 verse 3, he says, you keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Finally, Philippians chapter 4. I love this one. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. That is a command, by the way. That is not a suggestion. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And as a result of that, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. C.S. Lewis says, life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but it is peace in difficulties. This is the gospel. So, so preacher, what is, what is the application here? The application is this. Get up off the bench. Let's get back to work. God has called you, my friend, to a glorious purpose. He's got a will, a good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. And the first of that is to know Christ, to repent and know Christ. That is the first of it. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So get off the bench. Get back in the game. Break time's over. There's work to be done. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and I'll pray. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let's work. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you, Lord, for Haggai, who was bold enough to speak to the people and say, hey, we've lost our focus. Our priorities are wrong. Lord, help us have our eyes again what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Not my will, not my comfort, not my situation, Lord, but your will, God. Lord, today we pray the same prayer. Lord, align our lives to your will. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with Christ, Lord, lead them to see their sin the way you see it. That's an offense, an affront to you, to repent of that sin and place their faith in Christ for their salvation. Father, for, for believers, would help us to, to repent of our comfort and complacency. And would move us, Lord, to work, to serve, to do your will in the church and outside of the church. Would help us to be doers and not hearers only. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?